Welcome to the After Podcast. I'm Naveed Zamani, your host. In this session, I'll be speaking with Dr. Laura Gambro. We discuss embodied social justice, examine specific contemplative practices, and explore the usefulness and applications of some of this work across multiple contexts. Dr. Laura Gambro specializes in the teaching, training, and supervision of marriage and family therapists through an experiential lens. She has over 20 years of experience with mindfulness that she incorporates into her work as a professor, supervisor, therapist, and researcher. Her scholarly work has focused on relational applications of mindfulness and recently on bringing embodied social justice training into the field of family therapy. She is currently transitioning out of a position as an associate professor in the Marriage and Family Therapy Program at Appalachian State University and into private practice as the founder and director of the Institute for Relational Mindfulness. today. So, uh, Laura, as you prefer to be called, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, as I normally ask our guests, what's been capturing your attention these days in your work? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And um, I, I mean, I guess I think I've been excited about and getting interested in. I mean, it was in my bio, but the the research and work I've been doing is really in this area of embodied social justice. So it's a lot about looking at this intersection between contemplative practices and, um, you know, how experiences of marginalization, oppression, privilege get stored in the body, right? The somatic process of, um, uh, racialized trauma, somatic processes related to how do I manifest or react to um, when I'm confronted with privilege, my own privilege, right? So I'm really interested in that dynamic and how it can be integrated into the training and supervision of marriage and family therapists and how we can understand these sort of big picture, like theoretical concepts, like social justice in terms of how we can feel them in our bodies. Um, and if we can do that, can that change the way that we can relate to each other about these topics? Can it change the depth of the conversations that we have? Can it change the way we show up for ourselves, but also for our clients? So I think that's that's really what I'm excited about and would love to talk more about. So if I'm understanding correctly, because I'll be honest, I haven't heard of embodied social justice any- before. <laughs> Though there's perhaps an embodied way that I know about it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it, feels, yeah. it feels familiar in some ways. But uh-huh. as I'm understanding it, correct me if I'm wrong, embodied social justice is perhaps the ways that um, social politics are mapped onto our bodies and then the ways you as a researcher and a clinician are interested in making visible or exposing those mappings and the ways that has influence on relationality. Is that a fair capture or are there pieces that I'm missing there? Yeah, I mean, I think... Even be, I mean, I would say, I don't know if this is just a, a language thing, but beyond that, just like as a human, you know, like not even so much just it has to be as a researcher, right? Or a, uh, a clinician, but just as people, right? How do we feel into 
uh, our identities? How do we experience them within ourselves, right? Because I think sometimes we we talk about these big picture ideas, right? Like, you know, the Black Lives uh, Matters movement, right? And um, it can become this theoretical concept that we're talking about out there, like, you know, oh, of course we need to, to talk about reforming police. Of course we need to work on all of these systemic issues, right? We need to um, do that kind of advocacy and systemic change. And yes, I agree with that. We need to do that. But I think a lot of that has to start within. It has to start within how are we relating to those aspects of ourselves within ourselves. You know, and as a, a white-bodied person, how do, how do I feel my whiteness? How do I, how am I aware of it or not aware of it when I walk into a room, right? What, what do I notice in my body? And a, a lot of it has, has to do with belongingness, right? Mm-hmm. That there are spaces that I walk into where I feel very comfortable. And honestly, li- where I live and the university I work at, predominantly white, I feel pretty comfortable a lot of places, in, you know, in my whiteness, in, in, you know, if I, if I tap into gender and, and how I feel as a a woman, like I was just thinking about the the other day, I was walking home a little bit later and having to walk up the parking garage and I was going up, you know, like a side staircase Mm -hmm. and there was a guy coming down and immediately I felt this like tension in my body. Uh Immediately I was like on guard, you know, and I, I don't, I don't imagine that, 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 you know, guy was actually a threat to me. Right. But it was just the, the feeling of what if. Right. And I felt it deeply in my body. And I imagine he had no experience of that. Right. And if I had said like, oh, like I felt that. Right. When you just walk down the stairs, that's all, all he did was pass me in the stairs. He didn't look at me. He didn't approach me. There wasn't anything. I just it was that feeling of like, oh, there's somebody um, in this space with me who could hurt me. Um, and as a woman, I think I have those experiences in a lot of places, a lot of ways, and I'm starting to become more aware of how that impacts me and my body and what I carry, how do I let that go, right? Um, and as a white body person, I might not naturally be aware of those things. I might not naturally be aware of the relaxation and comfort I feel when I walk into a classroom and almost everyone there is my race. But but if I can raise my awareness of how comfortable I feel just walking into this space, maybe that can also help me to understand or start to relate to that that might not be true for everybody walking into this space. There are a lot of reasons why coming into this classroom might immediately feel like someone has to be on guard. Or someone's not, this is not a place for them. This is not a place that was built for them. And I imagine, you know, I'm giving classroom examples that I've been teaching, but, you know, we can think about the same way for therapy. There are plenty of people who walk into a therapy space and immediately feel calm, understood, right? Like this is a safe place. And other people who like immediately are on guard. Is this person, how is this person going to perceive me? Am I going to be safe here? Am I going to feel heard here? Um, is someone going to to get my experience? And a lot of that is unconscious. Um, and so that's the embodied process that I'm really interested in is mm. how do we make that conscious so then we can do something about it. We can tend to it. You know, like in that moment walking up the stairs, if I hadn't have been aware of it, maybe I would have gone home and felt really tense. Maybe it would have come out in how I related to my kids or something, right? Um, maybe I just would have carried that around and felt more stressed or irritable and not known why. 
Um, so we start to gain this awareness and then I can, can be kind and tender to myself. Mm. Does, that, really does that help? Or I, I think yeah. it does. Okay. Yeah. I have some yes. more questions. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's a really helpful description. Um, my curiosity is drawn to your history in this work. Like what draw you, drew you to this particular set of considerations? Yeah, well, I've been in the mindfulness world for a long time. So mm. let's see, almost you know, 20, 25 years I've been practicing as a mindfulness practitioner. And I have a, a lot of experiences of, um, I studied some in India and I did some long retreats, month long, three month long. Um, so re really deeply rooted in that um, tradition. And so I really brought that into my work. I went to Naropa University for my master's, which is um, a Buddhist inspired university. And in my um, training there in contemplative psychotherapy, there's a lot of integration of mindfulness into therapy work. Um, and I think, you know, doing that, going on to get my PhD in um, marriage and family therapy, I started to try and really bridge this world between what I was seeing and maybe it's not a completely fair characterization, but what I was seeing is a lot of this individually focused um, application of mindfulness that has happened in the West. I don't, I don't think that that's necessary. I mean, I think in other parts of the world, mindfulness, whether it's connected to Buddhist practice or not, but it tends to be more community Sangha focused um, and in the West, I think it, it got more co-opted at first into the like medical model. Mm -hmm. And again, not saying anything negative about it. I think it's, it's really beneficial and it's helpful to a lot of people. But I was really trying to get a sense of how do, how do we think about mindfulness more relationally, more like between people and um, in our relationships. And so I started doing a lot of work in mindfulness for couples. Um, that was what my dissertation research was on, really looking at mindful parenting, looking at these aspects of relational mindfulness. And then as I was like growing and learning about that, really in just the, the last few years, um, as my interest sort of parallel interest over here in social justice and teaching cultural competency and really, you know, working with students and then, um, still, you know, being connected to sort of these co contemplative communities over here, I started seeing this, this idea of embodied social justice just pop up everywhere. I think it started in a lot of yoga communities. It started uh, in like um, Buddhist and mindfulness communities, um, mind in life, um, some, some of these other organizations that, that are focused on like the intersection between mindfulness and health. Um, but I was fascinated by the fact that I didn't see it coming into marriage and family therapy, counseling, like any, any of these kinds of fields, um, which to me, it seems uh, just obvious <laughs> that, that it's something that, that would be helpful um, in our training. Um, I think mindfulness as a whole has become pretty widespread. A lot of people learn about it in their master's programs. A lot of um, therapists use it in therapy. Um, but I think it's been really decontextualized. Um, and some, some people use it more as a technique as opposed to thinking about it holistically. Mm. Um, and I think, I just think there's a lot more that can be gained by this intersection. And, and really I got into it because I wanted to find more effective ways, uh, 
to work with students related to social justice, especially in terms of how to effectively challenge um, white bodied students, people who are coming with a lot of privilege to examine those without being shut down or, or overcome or defensive uh, because they're being overwhelmed, I think, a lot of times by shame. So I think that, that there needs to be some, what's the right word? I don't know, like uh, approach that really helps build emotional tolerance um, some of these skills to sit with those emotions before we go into this work, because otherwise people can't really even get into it. It's so, it can cost so much that comes up, right? right. And then for people with other kinds of marginalized background, backgrounds, right, whether it's race or, um, you know, sexual identity, gender identity, um, you know, at any of the various ways, right? We can talk about uh, abilities and, and oppression and identity. Um, uh, there can often, when we have these conversations, people are having trauma responses, right? Like I, I can talk about, you know, what's happening on the news without it being traumatic to me. But for somebody else, they're sitting in a trauma response and maybe not even realizing that that's what's happening or maybe they are, but they don't know what to do with it. So I think uh, the, the contemplative practices can be helpful on both sides to help people with with the strong emotions that may be coming up and to, to understand why this might be so uh, such a difficult conversation to have. Yeah. So as I'm hearing you describe it, there's kind of two corridors that I'm really uh, that I'm noticing you talk about it in, like in this teaching context where you're supporting students and kind of. Well, creating an invitational context to really consider some difficult yes. conversations and some issues mm -hmm. pertaining to social justice that are pretty critical for their training and their movement yeah. into the MFT field. And then also this practice kind of therapy, I guess, therapist-client context mm -hmm. where you're supporting folks in. And th this is maybe where I need some language because I'm curious about what's happening in there. I'll say that as you're describing this body of work, I'm sitting here like imagining so many contexts that I feel like this bring some language to for me i was thinking about a context where i was like uh, i remember i was with my uh, in-laws in montana and i got on this little flight it was like a little one of those little planes that flies to another neighboring town kind mm -hmm. of thing and i'm in a I, my family's iranian um i well i basically very felt uh in a very embodied way, felt my identity shift during the 9-11 stuff mm -hmm. uh, from just, you know, regular kid to terrorist. And so planes and airports, I think my body, as you're describing this, my body's really activated. So I'm getting on this plane in Montana. No one says anything to me. It's a really white plane. Everyone's staring at me, obviously, because it's a plane. There's nothing to do but just watch people walk in. But I'm wondering, what is everyone thinking about me? And I yeah. wonder if, like, this example is kind of like in the... Is, is it a good example mm -hmm. of kind of the work yes. you're describing? Yeah, exactly. Right. And so you're, so you're feeling this, right? Right. And from, it would be reasonable, right? Given, given your experience, given everything that's happened to the United States, given probably you could give a lot of examples specifically that have happened to you, right? Um, about why, why you would be having these thoughts, why you'd be having this feeling, we don't know in that moment, right? Like objectively, are any of those people actually looking at you or right. thinking things? We can assume probably some of them are, maybe some of them aren't, whatever. But <laughs> whatever is happening, right? You're walking into that space feeling like, uh, are people going to see me as a threat? Yeah. 
right? And you're feeling that in your body. And I can imagine if, if you were to have a conversation with someone, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's going to be coming from that place. Like, mm. I need to make sure people know I'm not a threat, right? Like, maybe Absolutely. maybe you're smiling more. Maybe you're, you're, like, engaging in these kind of behaviors. Like, look, I'm I'm friendly. I'm not here to hurt you, right? Like, but you may, you may have have adapted uh coping behaviors right that make complete and reasonable sense given this scenario that you're in right but if you're not aware that that's happening if you continue to do that over and over and over again right it can have an impact on your health and on your well-being right and that's not your fault right that's the system that you're living in but if we can attend to it then we might be able to find ways to bring in some compassion, some kindness, some ways to like, for you to consciously like let some of that go Mm. or for you to choose. Yeah. This is a time when I need to be armored. This is a time when I need to play a certain role for my own safety. Mm. As soon as it becomes a choice, uh, I think a lot of that, uh, what's the right word? A lot of that, the like, I don't know. It's just, it somehow seems like less, less intense and oppressive. And obviously you don't get to choose whether people are looking at you or not, or whether, you know, like, you know, th- that part, we don't get to choose. And yes, we need to do advocacy and we need to change right. systems and we need to dismantle the racism. So I don't want anyone to leave this conversation saying mm-hmm. we don't need to address those things. We definitely need to address them. <laughs> but in that moment, right, when you're walking on a plane, you may be carrying something that you could let go of. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that because I, as I'm recalling that moment, you're right. There's no way objectively I could ever know and we'll never know what people were thinking. And honestly, I probably don't really want to know. But I can say <laughs> that I did walk to the back of the plane, sat down with my family, kind of feeling stupid. Just like, why am I thinking this stuff? Mm-hmm. Why am I racisting myself? <laughs> to use that as a verb. Um <laughs> Yeah. So I, I guess I'm curious because you used the word earlier, you said contemplative practices. Mm-hmm. And if it's not too irritating of a question, I was curious if you were willing to share, like, what does this look like in your practice? Like, what might somebody mm-hmm. be experiencing in kind of engaging with this embodied social justice work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I, I don't know. You can you can say no. I don't want to put you too much on the spot. But would you be willing to do something with me right now? I would. I'd be very. Or happy does to. that feel? No, I appreciate that. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. So, so let me just do it with you. Okay. <laughs> a little bit, and and you have full permission to say like, no, I don't want to do this on this podcast. We can pause and stop, or or you can not go to certain places, or just go there in your mind and just say, I don't want to share that out loud. You know. Totally. totally. But like, I feel totally comfortable. Of, Yes. Yeah. Go through. Um, just stop me at any, any we'll point. But like this example that you gave, right, is a perfect example of where you are having, given your your life experiences, given the systemic oppression and Islamophobia that's in the United States, right, given the shifts that happened to you when you were a kid, given all of these experiences, you're having a completely reasonable reaction to getting on a plane. And yet you're feeling at the end of that, like, oh, like, Am I making this up? You're, you're da- like, th- there's some part that I feel like happens to a lot of people who have these experiences um, 
of whether it's microaggressions, whether it's walking into a room and having a certain feeling of like, oh, I'm the crazy one. There's something wrong with me. Mm. You know, like, like that experience of me walking up the stairs, I, you know, I can think like, obviously like that wasn't going to hurt me. Right. Uh Like, 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 why am I thinking that? Like I could, I could add a layer of beating myself up about that. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that isn't really helpful. And I think as therapists, the best thing we can do is attend to that to make space for that, to really highlight that and say like, no, you, your feelings make sense and find some healing related to it. Right. So if you wanted to take a moment and people at home, maybe want to think about their own experience, you know, whatever they want to um, listen along. But if you feel comfortable, just closing your eyes and just take a few deep breaths, like feel yourself really grounded in your body, grounding your feet in the floor breathing deeply and I want you to see if you can really bring to mind what was happening in your body when you got on that airplane so you start to walk onto the airplane you notice that people are looking at you as you're walking by what sensations are coming up what do you notice in different parts of your body yeah, uh, and and you'd want me to list these right here, right now. Yeah, if you're comfortable. Yeah, I mm-hmm. am. Yeah. So, as I'm imagining myself walking onto the plane, and in in the broader context that I I haven't seen a, seen a person of color for a long time on this trip, mm-hmm. and so I'm walking onto yeah. a similarly very white plane. Yeah. In an airport context, obviously, and I feel like my shoulders are really tight. Yeah. And narrow. Mm-hmm. And see, these are parts of the story that I'm like, is it because I'm on the plane and I'm trying to be small? Right. right. Trying to be. But you know, narrow. you notice that constricting. I feel yeah. constricted. Absolutely. Yes. My yeah. breathing is a little tighter and shorter. Mm-hmm. So you're feeling that pulling. You're doing this. People can't see you, right? But you're pulling yeah. your body in as you're saying that. Like I can just notice you're making yourself smaller, constricted. Your breathing gets gets tighter. Yeah, I'm both trying to like present a very safe body, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But also yeah. like it feels like my muscles and body's ready to jump if I need to. Yes. Yeah. So you're try- wound trying up. Yes, wound up, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're you feel some of that like uh hyper trigger, you know, feeling like hyper vigilance maybe. Mm-hmm. Like I'm ready if something happens. But and and I'm tight and I'm I'm trying to like present as as friendly and safe, um, but also feeling this like ooh, like a lot of this is really uncomfortable. You know, I, start, I, I don't. Yeah, I definitely have a smile plastered on my face. This is pre-pandemic yes. too, so yes, no masks. I can smile right. at people. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. So you ha- have um you know I, I don't know what what you would call that a fake smile or a, you said it was plastered on your face, but yeah, you're, so you're making, you're forcing a smile. Yes. Yes. Um, that's not genuine. Right. And you're feeling this like tightness, right. And trying to present yourself in a certain way. And then you said you go and sit down and then you start to have some of these thoughts in your head, like, Oh, this is stupid. Like people aren't thinking this about me. Um, yeah, I think it was part of it was to sitting next to my family and uh, just for people listening, my uh, wife's family is effectively white. Um, her mom's side is Mexican, but white presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know that they had these experiences. We sit down together. They're all being playful and having fun. And I'm yes. trying to be playful, 
but like I, now that I'm thinking about this moment, my body was so stuck and my physiology was in such a wound up place. Uh-huh. I think this is where the stupid feeling came in where I was like, oh, why am I feeling this is so dumb? Like no one even yeah. said anything. Right. I'm making all this up. Look yeah. at everyone else chilling. Why can't I chill? Right. Yeah. So I want to go into that place a little bit more. So when you notice, like, there's this tightness, they're being playful, right? And you're thinking, like, why can't I just en- enjoy sort of being with them? Why mm-hmm. can't I just be playful? I'm, I, like, I'm doing this to myself kind of thing, right? Like, I'm making this up. Um, where, where do you notice that in your body? What do you notice coming coming up? My, I can feel my heart pounding a lot, yeah. which is a feeling I have whenever I feel what's the word like really conscious of myself like really uh-huh. so hyper aware socially yes uh-huh uh would I'm you like, associate it with like anxiety or is that not the right word it's more hyper aware subconscious it, i think you could probably safely call it like an anxious response uh-huh. i i guess i'm not calling it anxiety because for myself i call anxiety I don't know, this is maybe a stupid way yeah. to define it, but I feel like when I'm anxious, I'm doing anxious stuff. In this context, yeah. I'm feeling yes. mm-hmm. the physiology yeah, of anxiety, yeah. and I'm trying mm-hmm. really hard to present yes. cool. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so you're putting all this energy into yes. presenting cool, right? And your heart's beating, right? I want you to see if you can tap into that feeling in your heart. Just notice it. Um, what are some of the thoughts that come up, the, those self-thoughts that were coming up in that place? You mentioned some of them already. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. No one said anything. Right. They're making this all up. Yeah. So There's this part of me that's like, why, are you, why do you always have to be so political? Just relax like everyone else is relaxing. Yes. Yeah. And as you're saying that, what do you notice happened to your body? How does it impact your body? It feels like it's getting smaller in some okay. ways. Like so it's like, like sh- it goes it goes away. No, so? it doesn't go away. Like no. I feel like I'm shrinking myself or something. Okay. Shrinking. I don't know yourself. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, shrinking yourself. Yeah. And as do you reflect on this experience, right? If you looked at your, if you can close your eyes and imagine yourself sitting there in the plane. So sort of, you know, outside your body, looking at yourself, maybe your, your wife and kids are there. They're sort of goofing around. You maybe see yourself in that. You you can notice that you're uncomfortable, but trying to pretend like everything's okay. Can you look at yourself with compassion? Can you Mm -hmm. see that, that uh, tension that you're feeling? in the moment between what's happening inside your body and then this this face that you have to put on for your own safety or to try and make people believe that you're safe. Hmm. A lot of effort that you have to put into to help to make other people comfortable. There's definitely like a tenderness coming up for me right now as I'm thinking about this. I feel compassion for the other person that's me. Yes. Yes. And where do you feel that compassion? Where do you notice it? 
kind of in my chest and the back of my neck in some ways. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, this, I want to give like a hug. Like, yeah. it's not a big deal. Like, well, and that's like not the right phrase either. It's kind of like, it's it, not that it's not a big deal what you feel. It's not a big deal to feel the way you're feeling. Yeah. It's kind of what I want to tell my past mm-hmm. self. Yeah, that it's okay to have these feelings. Mm. It makes sense. And and I'm here. I want to give you some comfort in this place. I'm going to give you a hug and let you know you're not alone. You're not the only one to have these feelings. And, and uh, it's okay to feel it. There's kind of like this melting in my body happening right now as I'm... Yeah. Hey, I'm not, uh, you know, for listeners, I'm not really that... Um, experience in the world of mindfulness so mm-hmm. perhaps this is a really obvious and stupid thing to say but there is kind of like a softness that comes with that giving myself mm-hmm. permission like just yeah. just feel it like it's not a big deal yeah yeah and it's it's uh not not obvious right i mean the, the whole point is we enter into it right and and then we start to realize like oh i can, I can be gentle with myself in that place, you maybe never had that experience before. No one modeled it for you, or you, you were never given permission. You didn't know how to give yourself permission. Something maybe you haven't talked about with a lot of people, right? But in that place, like, oh, you can say like, oh yeah, I, I can be tender with myself. I can give myself permission to feel these feelings and know that they're, they're understandable and reasonable. Yeah. And so as you start to like melt in that way, like I get, I notice like you, you seem like softer, like more open, your body doesn't feel so tense. I feel great right now. Yeah. There's like some open opening coming in. How might that inform you next time you go on an airplane? This experience that we had today, how might it change your experience of being on an airplane next time? Yeah. I think I want to be really attuned to that latter part. I think I'm, I've put so much focus on like, don't feel like people are being racist or whatever mm-hmm. I would call that. Yes. And I'm like, no, you're going to feel that. Yeah. But just let it happen. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, just let it happen. Yeah. I don't yeah, know if that's and you the let intended. It yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, that there are a lot of racist people out there. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like, that's real. Yeah. Right? Is that something you're making up in your head, Naveed? Mm. Right? It, it, it's real. And and it's okay to have a reaction and it's okay to choose the way you need to respond within that situation. And then afterwards, what I would hope is that you can bring some kindness and compassion to yourself about needing to act that way in an unjust world. Mm. Thank you so much for giving me a little window into this mm-hmm. set of practices. How did you come to kind of yeah. develop this line of questioning and kind of this way you're tra- like kind of uh, guiding me through some reflections? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing it with me. Thank I love, you. To, no, I love to do stuff instead of talking about it. So I appreciate you being vulnerable. I'll and... just say I feel very, I do feel vulnerable, like in a yeah. soft way, mm-hmm. um, which does have me ask, want to ask a question too, about how it is that you're, well, I'm sorry, I'm piling on questions because yeah, I'm like okay. yes. so excited by this whole yes. um, process we went through. Yeah. Um, there is a question in there too about how it is that you are managing your whiteness as you're yes. bringing people through pretty vulnerable yes. encounters or moments mm-hmm. or whatever you call it. Yeah, I mean, 
there's a lot, a lot of questions there that you have. I mean, all, <laughs> all I can say is that, right. Like, I don't know that, that experience that you're talking about. I, I, I can't relate to it. Right. Like as, as a white person and especially as a white female, I'm not a threat in most places I go. Right. I don't have that experience very often of like feeling like I need to p- put people at ease because they might be threatened by me. Mm. Right. Like that, that particular specific set of experiences you know, I don't have. Right. And I think I need to often be doing my own work, right. I'm doing my, my own practices and my own stuff related to privilege to, to make sure I'm not overstepping that. Mm. Right. And so instead my, my goal, and just like I do with clients who are different from me in all of these different ways, right. Like I have clients who have all kinds of different experiences that I've never experienced. Right. But my, my goal is to, attend and be present, right? And let you come to the healing that you need instead of me having some agenda about how it's supposed to look or what you need to come to, right? But really just like the, the thing that I, I mean, which which I did with you, right? Like, and, and you probably felt is like consistently and constantly doing with people is saying like, you know, this is understandable and reasonable that you feel this way. Mm. Right. Because people often have that experience that you're having, like, oh, I'm doing like this is something I'm doing. Right. Like I'm projecting this onto people or why do I do this or why am I making this worse than it is? Or people aren't, you know, just like I was saying, my, my experience in the in the stairwell, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. like he wasn't a threat. Why am I afraid of him? Right. Like, but it's reasonable and understandable that I would be right. Because right? right. I've had experiences in dark places where I wasn't safe right. and that comes up. Right. And so even though I can't relate to those specific pieces, right, my my goal is to always help people own and get to a place where um, they can hear that that those those emotions and those reactions make sense, given right the context, the culture, all these layers of systemic oppression, like all of these things right, are impacting individuals and that that that's my work is to consistently be attuning and be aware of that so that I'm not inadvertently minimizing people's experiences. Mm. Right. Cause it would be very easy for me to be like, you know, if you were my client and you're sharing that experience to be like, Oh, let's do some, you know, like CBT, like this is a rational belief you have Naveed about like, people don't think that about you. That's not really happening. Let's, let's work to min- like stop these thoughts because they're right. not really happening. Right. That, and that could be really damaging. But what right, I, right. yeah, what I hope is that by me consistently bringing these things into my awareness, it's work. Like I have to do it uh, intentionally. You know, I have to continue to do it intentionally. Otherwise, like it's easier for me to bypass or not see things or not attune to them. Related right. to race specifically. Right? right. And to be fair to you, I mean, we were talking about race, but like yes. your story, that's a gendered, well, if that's yes. what to call it, that a gendered one yeah. in which mm-hmm. I would be positioned yeah. then if I was a practitioner and needing some reflections and some work of my yes. own around maleness mm-hmm. and how that right. sets up some blinders. Yes. So it strikes me that like your, this approach that you've, you've been describing, one, it resists some of the historical models of, um, well, some modernist models of naming right or wrong or rational or rational. Yes. And yes. it's more... Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth or so help me here with the languaging, but it's kind of bringing everything in and up and examining it rather than trying to 
curate what yeah, belongs mean, or it, not. It's more it's more acceptance based, right? Yes. That's what the mindfulness approaches are doing. So instead of um, trying to change something just to change it, right, because it's right or wrong, we're making space for it. We're embracing it. We're accepting it, right? And like a, a lot of a lot of therapists, I'm not the first one to say this. Well, uh, they will say like that's the paradox, right, of change. As soon as you accept something, then it'll change on its own, hmm. right? I didn't tell you you have to change this way you're thinking or responding to yourself. I said, let's make space and be with it in this, in this kind of compassionate way. And it softens and changes on its own. You know, not, not with all clients, is it going to happen that easily or that quickly? Right. But what I, what I'm doing is, is not any different than any of the ways I was trained in experiential therapy. I'm just bringing a very intentional social justice lens to it. Right. Where I'm going to like really highlight those aspects of, of identity and, and the context that people are in. I mean, I think a lot of people would, you know, mindfulness practitioners, contemplative based folks, experiential folks would do something similar, but they might not be attending to the heart of it related to, you know, race or social class or gender identity in a way that I think is important in the body, right? Like, because a lot of these things are embodied, even if we're not aware of them. Have you found um, much applicability for couples or families with this, some of this work? I'm kind of curious to hear how yeah, this might I look mean, in a relational context. I do, I do almost all couples work right now. Ah, okay. Um, and so, yeah, I do a lot of this stuff with couples. Um, and a lot of the ways that we learn to protect ourselves from intimacy, from from what perceived threats or isolation have to do with how we are socialized. They have to do with identity. Mm. A lot of it's gender based. You know, I work with a lot of um, primarily the couples I'm working with are white and heterosexual. That's not everybody, but primarily just so people know that's the population I'm working with. Mm. And um, so gender tends to be one of the, the main orienting factors that will come up. And I see it all the time, right? I mean, the ways that we respond when emotions get heightened, the way we, the way we learn is appropriate to respond to each other. A lot of that is gendered, you know, and, and we, it's also cultural. It's also related to all these other factors, but just in terms of my practice, that tends to be one of the, the orienting factors. And are couples kind of witnessing each other Mm -hmm. do this work? Yep. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a, a base level of, Sometimes we've got to do a lot of work before we can get to that point. There has to be a basic level of, 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 you know, trust to be that vulnerable right in front of a partner and for it to be helpful and not, and not weaponized right later. Um, But I, but I do think it's really powerful for partners to witness each other go through those processes. I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm very curious about that. And I'm also mindful of our time here. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm curious to ask, like, how have how have you experienced the reception of some of these ideas by the MFT field or some of your colleagues? Yeah, it's been good. I think people are into it. I mean, I think I I think I don't know what other people say, but it seems like there's a big movement in all therapies, but definitely in marriage and family therapy, um, specifically more towards these kind of like somatic practices. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of people being more interested in trauma-informed work, more interested in um, somatic work, you know, and I think um, we're, we're, 
you know, just barely at the beginning of looking at how, how can these things start to be incorporated more in a systems way? You know, I think there's a lot of people out there who are, you know, there's polyvagal theory, there's all the, right. the trauma-informed people who are looking at the ways that the, the body, um, you know, it impacts who and how we are in our relationships. But I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done in terms of how do we make sense of this theoretically? How do we make sense of it um, with our couples and our families, with kiddos, right? Like there's just so much, so much out there uh, yet to be done. Um, but, I've, you know, I've had some really cool uh, responses from people and um, just like people getting really excited or interested. I mean, when I got into it, and so I assume it's for, for the same thing for other people too. When I started listening to to some different talks, Dr. Sarah King really opened my eyes to a lot of the this stuff. She's an amazing um, researcher and speaker. So if people don't know about her, check her out. Um, but she uh, she's done some work with Dan Siegel and really looking at... Um, how the interpersonal neuro, neurobiology pieces and how that's impacted by identity and oppression and marginalization and all of those things. But um, when I started listening to her, I was like, oh, that's it. Like light bulbs, mm. you know, so excited because it just, the, I think you said something like this, like there's a language for something that I knew was happening that I didn't know how to explain and or how to describe. And now when I can go into a classroom and tell students like, hey, you know, here's the window of tolerance. Here's what hypoarousal looks like. Here's what hypoarousal looks like. Here's why having conversations about race, about gender, about these kind of things, um, depending on how you identify, might bump you out of your window of tolerance, right? Here's why it's hard to have these conversations. Here's what it might look like when you're, when you're out of you're, you know, out of your window. And when we're in class and having these conversations and people get reactive or people get defensive, here's why that might be happening. And here's how we can, you know, build more skills to, to be able to be more present. And I'm doing that with students with the hope that then they will be able to do it with clients, right? That they're going to build these skills and then be able to transfer them to how they are and, and you know, with clients when these things are being activated. Yeah, well, there's a, I could talk about this for several more hours because I have so many curiosities, both in how some of this plays out in your teaching context, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more about how some f uh, families are managing some of this work with you mm -hmm. um, and your journey to this. But I do want to say that um, at least on my end, you're pretty findable on Google and search yes. engines. Yes. And it seems yep. like you have a pretty big body of literature. So I want to encourage mm -hmm. folks to reach out if you're open to it or kind Definitely. of go on and yeah. explore some more of your work. Yeah. And Laura, I wonder as we're wrapping up here, was there anything you had hoped to speak about that maybe I didn't ask about or a question you hoped I would ask that would give you an opportunity to speak to something? I can't think of anything. I mean, I think that, like I said, you know, before we got on, I, I didn't have a lot of expectations about what would come up today. And um, I'm pretty excited about where we got to. So I'm, I'm hoping it will be, you know, helpful, informative, uh, maybe, uh, you know, light some fires under some yeah. folks to, to start um, learning and exploring some of these new areas. It certainly has for me. And you know, thanks for the free session. Appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> Always a privilege. <laughs> thanks, Dr. Gambrel. Really appreciate yes. you. Thank you for having me.